Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Your Intention Matters, the podcast. My name, of course, is still Paul Madot. Thank you very much for freeing up the time. I have Brian McDowell. He is Senior Vice President of Global Sales at Social Chorus, coming to us from Northern California, the Bay. Brian, how are things, man? Hey, doing great, Paul. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Very excited about this conversation. You're very welcome. I'm looking forward to it. Do me a favor, say hi to everybody and provide a quick intro. Yeah, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're at. Um, I'm SVP of Global Sales at Social Chorus and was reached out by um, Paul's very persistent and very professional assistant, Austin. He did a great job of um, breaking through the noise and um, got my attention. And so I'm here to talk a little bit about just my journey, my learnings, and hopefully we'll have one or two nuggets in the 20 minutes that are helpful for you. I look forward to it. Brian, you married, father, both? I am married. I am um, for 31 years. Wow, congrats. Uh, father of three kids who are 22. Let's see, this is an even year, 22, 24, and 26 now. All right. Uh, your grandfather yet? No, no, no. I have a grand dog. All right. The best thing possible. <laughs> Grandkids are as fun as grand dogs. It's going to be great. We never had a <laughs> All right, good. Well, listen, thanks again for being here. And so let's set the stage here. So as you know, the title of the podcast is called Your Intention Matters. And as we've been discussing, that's really built on my foundation and nothing's really given to any of us. And it all starts with what we have up top with mindset and intention. And so if you're ready to go, uh, let's get into your story, shall we? Yep. Sounds great. All right, Brian, we're going back in time here. That's what we do in this podcast. We're going back. Wheaton College, man, Illinois, early to mid 80s, math and computer science. Talk to me, man. What did you think you'd be doing? Did you have a vision back then? Were you kind of a fish out of water? What, what was your thought process as you're getting ready to, you know, get out there into the world? Yeah, so the story there is uh, grew up in Maryland, out in the country, went to Chicago suburb, which for me was a big city. Wheaton College was a family school. My parents had gone there. A lot of cousins went there. Great experience for me. I ended up a math and computer science major because I had an Army ROTC scholarship and I started a physics major and was nearly failing out and hated it. But to keep the scholarship, I had to have a math or science or some kind of a STEM degree. And I literally did a look at the syllabus of all the degrees and determined that was the easiest of all the degrees that still uh, qualified me to keep my scholarship. So that's how I ended up there. Gotcha. OK, so uh, did you get into math or computer science once you graduated? I hated it as a student. I did not enjoy it at all. Very good. I graduated, did a couple of things for my first two years out, tried to be a high school teacher, had some army service to do, went to Europe, and then got in a situation where 31 years of marriage, I was getting married at the end of the summer. I needed a job and I was in the Bay Area because that's where my wife's from. And the only jobs I could find were ones that used my degree. Imagine that. Most people think that was incredible. I kind of resigned myself to doing this really boring um, software engineering job and got into it and loved it. it. There was something about the real world and putting that 
thinking within the context of solving real, real world problems that was just hugely interesting and engaging for me. The academic part of it just hadn't, but the real world did it for me. You know, I, I'm curious about this, Brian, because listen, technology right now is at the cutting edge or some great stuff. I mean, even this, if you think about even 25 years ago, would you ever think we could do this, right? I mean, in a, in a Zoom session. So technology, I think, when I think about my kids, they're only six and four right now. Th- they take for granted a lot of the stuff, the iPads and the swiping. And But so here you are back in the 80s. What an amazing time that was for technology. That must have been pretty cool to see what was happening with technology, how we were communicating with each other and and what you, being on, on, on that side of the coin with what you could see what was happening in terms of technology computer systems and so on, software and everything else. Yeah, I think my takeaway is that we were solving the problems we've now solved now, but doing it in really awkward brute force ways, right? I wrote, my first job was writing software for the Tahamahawk missile program. Those were hugely accurate missiles for the Navy without um, the GPS system. They did it in really awkward brute force ways, but once they had GPS, all of a sudden that became really easy. Right. There were ways that we could have done, maybe not video, but I can remember doing literally satellite video training at Hewlett Packard early in my career in a really awkward way compared to this. But we still kind of pulled it off. It's just that so many things get so much easier and you start to assume it. Right. And I think that's what your kids are going to have stuff that we're sitting around going, wow, this is amazing. Self-driving cars. Right. The ability to use artificial intelligence to figure out a lot of things in our lives, they're going to assume that, right? Will your kids get a driver's license? Probably not. Fair enough. You know, you mentioned HP. I know you were at HP for an extended period. How how many years? Five plus? Uh, Nine years, 91 to 99. Okay, so nine years at HP. Um, Did you join HP electively? Did they pluck you out? Were you out of work? How did that happen in terms of you finding HP? Yeah, I'd been a software engineer at this defense contractor, applied to HP, got a job there initially as a SE and a trainer in their professional services organization, became a manager, then became an entrepreneur and built a couple of service businesses for them, and then became a VP of sales and ran one of their North American sales forces. So... You know, I worked at Xerox, you know, for a bunch of years, so I competed with HP for a long time in a number of different circles, but I know them to be, you know, a a well-respected company, global, I mean, they're massive from a market share perspective and and their brand strength. Were you in the Bay Area at this time as well? Yeah, I was at the, what was called the Mayfield Mall site in Mountain View, which is now a Google site where they have their self-driving cars. I go back by that site occasionally and they have their self-driving business. I'm sure other businesses too, but that's there. You know, so Brian, what was the transition like for you? Because you're from out east at Maryland. You then kind of go west to Chicago. Chicago, the burb is a big city for you at the time. What was the move to California like? Because it sounds like you were newly married I don't know if you were a dad just yet, but maybe a family's on the way. But California life is different than Eastern life. And and Northern California is different than Southern California. So what was the transition like for you to be in the Bay? Well, for me, that's when a switch flipped as to how interesting, fun, and engaging life could be year round. Some of that's weather. Some of that's the people you meet. Some of that's the job that I had. had. It just was really invigorating. Right. Cool. Cool. And so uh, eight, nine years uh, at HP, you know, I always like to ask this question for anybody that I know who works for an organization that's global, 
And the decision to move on, like when I worked at Xerox, you know, massive company, global presence, I was there almost a decade. My decision to move on was to start up my own company because I got into the sales training game because that's where my passion was. What was behind your decision after nine years at the company? Oh, yeah. So, and actually, let me just say something really quick about the first two jobs because I think they're, you know, while they're so long ago, they were really formative in the way I think. My first job as a software engineer gave me a systems approach to thinking, a process-oriented approach to thinking. I find that has carried forward, even though I've ended up in sales and customer-facing jobs for the majority of my career. I've always had a what is the system kind of thinking about it. And that's been really, really helpful. And then at HP, in addition to furthering that, that's where I really learned to manage and think about your presence within a larger organization and, and how you drive change, how you get work done, those sort of things. And that has, I think, informed the perspective I have just around how you treat people, how your organization is viewed elsewhere within, you know, the rest of the business, the world. So that, that I, I, I think early jobs have a outsized impact, not just because of the relationships you create or the experience you get, but it actually in many ways formats a person's hard drive. And I probably overweight when I'm interviewing someone what their first jobs were, mm. right? They may be in the exact same job now, but you take someone who started as a trader at Goldman Sachs, you take someone that started as a software engineer, right? they're, they're going to think about it very, very differently. So when you left HP, what did you do? I left HP uh, to find my fortune, to do a startup. It was in 99. The dot-com had been kind of rolling for a while. We were at the peak of yeah. it. Um, I left late. When my startup quit starting up in 2001, I was a classic story. Um Second mortgage in my house, up my eyeballs and my credit card. My startup, you know, was dying. And so desperately needed a job. And so the next job I got was as a sales strategy consultant. So, you know, I mean, so obviously you've turned the corner. It's been 20 years since that happened. And, you know, it's worked out for you. But I imagine while you're in it, kind of like some people right now as we're trying to get through this, you know, current state of the world, it's not, it's not sunshine for everybody right now you know, looking back on it, we might be better for it, but that, that could not have been easy for you. I mean, you've got a second mortgage, you're, you're up to debt in your eyeballs. And that yeah. was a turbulent time. I mean, 99, 2000, 2001, that was not exactly fantastic. I mean, the dot-coms bursted that was, I lost a boatload that I, I got out late. It was just terrible. And, and if you take a look at outside of business, but what happened with 2000, uh, September 11, 2001, the tragedy that day, and the impact that that had on the world. I mean, how did you how did you get through that? Because that could not have been easy. Yeah, I, I had um, first of all a wife that believed in me and gave gave me support. So the people around me, you know, were really really important. Um, I think I believed in my skills. I believed in myself. That allowed me to get the next job. I was able to separate the nose I was getting. And we, and we were raising venture capital in late 2000, early 2001. And every time we go in front of a VC, the bar would have been raised, right? Well, that's a great idea, but does, do you have something that's operating? Well, that's operating. Do you have a customer that says they might buy it? Well, they say they'll buy it. Will they actually buy it? Do you have your first sale? And we were early yeah. stage. Those were kind of the milestones. And so there was the opportunity to really take counsel in your fears, as they say, right? Versus say, okay, that may be what's happening in the market, but that's not who I am. That's not what my skills are. That's not the value I can create. So where's the best way for me to do that? And so when you hit the point of saying, okay, I'm going to walk away from this and it's always later than it should have been. Yeah. 
right? Every as they always say, right? You know, cut early, cut hard, that sort of thing. Even as we went through COVID this year, that was a, a bit of what was written. Um, you have to say, but I know I can get to the next thing and see your way through to that. And so, what did you do? And, and wh- wh- where are we? Are we in the mid two thousands? Still the early two thousands? Yeah, two thousand one. I had a friend who'd gotten a job with a um, boutique sales strategy company called DSG Consulting, and so I joined that firm and worked for them for five years. They're still around. They're a great firm. Um, and then I struck out on my own. So I actually had another startup idea in 2005, 2006, left to do that um, and continue to consult while I did that. that never dude, dude I, I, I dig the intention, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're, like you're not letting that first you know, speed bump stop you from you know, kind of doing it again. So what was the second time around like? Yeah, so and th- there was three. There was the third in 2009. Okay. Once again, timing, bad e- economically. So the, the yeah, first- terrible. Yeah, also terrible. First one, 2000, 2001, was a supply chain optimization software um, thing. The second one was actually a um, sales-related planning and, and, and display. It was eventually what ClearSlide actually built a few years later, a little bit early. Mm. And the 2008, 2009 was sort of a similar sales enablement one. Uh, none of them... Other than the first one, the next two never really got, got out of the garage. And what I learned is I love early stage companies. I love software and SaaS, of course, um, but I'm not a get it out of the garage guy. That's not my strength. I can't pick it up there. Is that a learned determination? Yeah, that was, I hit myself. I ran into the brick wall three times. All right. And after the third time, my wife says to me, she's always been amazing before, she goes, you know, there might be a trend here. You might want to think about that. And I'm, obviously, I'm saying, oh, no, no, it was, the economy. It was 2001 the first time. It's 2009 this time. But at some point, you step back and you quit kidding yourself. Yeah. All right. So, so that takes us to, to what? Uh, early, early 2010s, 12, 13. Where are we at now? Yeah, and I was all through this. I continue to run a, a a set of sales strategy consulting work, and so I did that initially for DSE Consulting, and then I built a series of companies with good friends and did that up until 2016. Up and until so, 2016, and so this time it's not just you. You have a wife. You you mentioned you're a dad of three, so you're a, you have your dad three times over at this point running startups. I mean, I think about myself as a self-employed guy. When I started up my company, I was single, wasn't married. It was just me, and if I flopped, I flopped. But now all of a sudden, it's like I married eight years, got two kids, and I'm self-employed. Like it weighs on me that there, there's these people are totally dependent upon what I'm doing, and so you had that just a different logo on the bag. And so what was next for you once you made that determination that me getting it out of the garage isn't really for me? So where'd you land? Yeah, so failed at doing it for software, certainly ran my own consulting business or small, small, you know, half a dozen folks consulting business successfully, really enjoyed it. All in, that was 15 years. And then I did a project and I did projects for large companies and small companies. I did projects for Caterpillar, for Boeing, for Adobe for HP for Microsoft, um, but I did a project for Social Chorus, and it was a sales strategy, business value, you know, build a sales process for them. And at the time, the company, which is where I'm currently at, was um, nine, ten year, nine, nine years old, 
and was pivoting into an enterprise sale. And so they were also at the time looking for a new head of sales. So they, after I'd done work for them for about three months said, hey, would you think about doing the job? And I was at a um, inflection point personally. My youngest had literally just left for college. This was over the summer of 2016. I was Jeez. leaving college. And um, so I, I, once again, sat down with my wife and a little bit with my kids and said, oh, you know, what would you think of it if we did empty nesting a little bit different than we had talked about? And I moved from a consulting job where I'm working from home and traveling a lot to an operational job where I'm working completely out of control hours or out of my control and commuting up to San Fran, which is about 40 minutes. And I think it'd be a ton of fun. And so that was, that was the decision I took, we took together to do in late 2016. And did they think it would be a lot of fun? I think, yeah, I think they knew I was ready for a change. I had done similar work. And the fun thing about consulting, and you know, this is that well, your, your, your methodology and your practice and the things you train on might be the same, but every time you do it for a different client, you get to learn a new business, you get to learn new people, you get to think about how do I instantiate this to create the most value for them. So I love that part of it, but I was ready for a change. I was ready for a new challenge. And was the challenge what you expected? Was it uh, rough <laughs> out of the gate or was it uh, sunshine right away? Uh, it was... It was a bit of everything, right? There was parts that I certainly anticipated that I knew, okay, you know, it's it's one thing to go from managing myself and a team of colleagues that are all equals to managing 25 or 30 people, some of them brand new in their career, some of them more experienced than me, um, and managing a whole bunch of other stakeholders, right? The rest of the company, board of directors. Um, so all that was a ton of fun. Mm. I think the thing that you get that struck me is how little you think is in your control that you wish were was in your control. And so that, that was 2016, correct? So we're just over four years now. Yep. Four years. Just there. Over four years now. Okay. Yep. So you're four years into it. Uh, I, I'm making this up in my head, but obviously things are going well for you to be four years there and you're happy with, uh, with your choice. <laughs> but I, I, I do want to chat with you about 2020 because well, what can you say about 2020, right? It, and, uh, on a number of different levels. So um, how have you balanced 2020 mentally, professionally, personally? How have you hung in there? Because it's been one of those years. Yeah, great question. And it's it fortunately has been good for our business. We're an employee communication platform. And so that's it's accelerated everyone's buying cycle, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. For us, it's been more, more for the better. So we're actually ahead of our original goals for the year. We haven't had to reset. Um, expectations. Oh, good. On the business side, it's been good. That doesn't mean it's it's like the, the classic story of the duck on the water. It looks good on top. That doesn't mean there's not a lot of just sure. hyperactivity going on underneath. And there certainly has been that. Um, it, 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 at the same time, we took on a new majority investor. We were able to do that transaction in the middle of the year. That was great news, but there's a lot of work that leads up to that, right? You're running the sales team and you're pitching investors as part of the management team, putting that story together and delivering it. Um, had a really good outcome there. Now we have new, essentially leaders of the company, new chairman of the board, and we're building a much more aggressive growth plan than we've had. We've typically run about 50% growth year over year, and we're targeting to do that next year, but still in the face of you know, the unknown. Yeah. So that's professionally, personally, like everyone, 
I'm working from home full time. I've done yeah. that before for 15 years. It's very different to do it with between nine and 10 hours of Zoom a day. And on the West Coast, it's an early start. And I've got a team in Europe as well. So I'm oftentimes up early with them. So I think there's been a learning. And we've all gone through this, right? Okay, this is going to last for a month or this is going to last for a quarter to this could last indefinitely. And how do you manage your time? Where do you say no? And where can you be strategic? I think the thing that every sales leader struggles with is of all the things I could do, what are the big rocks that are most likely to move the needle for my team? And am I getting time there? And am I getting my best time there? Am I getting time when I do my best thinking? Am I delivering it in a way that is going to be well received? And it's not one more thing piling on. I think we have to be realistic. And, and you know this in your business, there's, you know, any individual person on your team can only take in so many new ideas. The pipeline's only so big, right? Right. So what do you deliver? If you can only deliver one new idea and expect it to be implemented a month, and that might even be optimistic, right? If it's of any significance, how do you figure out what that is? So I think I didn't start thinking about that, but as, as this is worn on, I've become more and more cognizant of that. Isn't it funny what you start to think about as a result of what's forced on you? And, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully the, it's, it's, it ends up being a positive in the end here. I know, Brian, you said you're a dad. Are, are your kids uh, living with you still, some of them? So do you have to manage that working from home or are you able to, to isolate a little bit as well? Yeah, great question. My... Um, Oldest is actually in LA she, and she finished up grad school and went through a virtual graduation back in the spring law school. Actually, my son is um, oldest daughter. Son is in Washington, D.C. He's graduated in, in his career. And then my youngest was an undergrad and came home for spring break for four days and never went back and brought home four days worth of her favorite clothes and all her rest of her favorite clothes were still at school. She was in, school in Indiana and, um, she um, finished up school here and is now transitioned into the rest of her life. And boy, it's a weird time. It's really, really a bizarre thing to have lost the last. And a quarter of all, this happened to a quarter of all college students. But still, I think there's been both a great time for us as parents. I'm not quite sure so great for her because it wasn't what was planned. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, you mentioned Austin on my team and, you know, he's in his second year college and he's doing everything virtual, even though he's living in the town where his college is. But it's, uh, you know, you know, for that generation, your, 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 your daughter, did you say is your youngest, yeah. his daughter? Okay. So your daughter, Austin, I have a couple of nieces and nephews in, in college right now. And so this is all they know. But for, for those of us who've been through different experiences with college and in-person and homecoming and everything else, it's like, oh, they're kind of being robbed of, of an experience. Graduating high school virtually would drive by. Congratulations. Like it's not really the way it's supposed to go. Right. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that at a bare minimum, you know, you and your family are hanging in there mentally. It sounds like you're all safe. And, uh, you know, as we ride this wave here, and hopefully in the end, this year will be looked upon as a positive, as a, even though right now for a lot of us, it's not. Um, but Brian, I've enjoyed uh, having you on the podcast and hearing your story here. I always like to ask, uh, what's been your foundation? Mm. Yeah, thank you. I, my family, obviously, I've mentioned that multiple times. For me, it's my faith as well. And just knowing that my scorecard for life is different than my scorecard at work. And I can mm. step away from whatever's happening at work and, and look at that in the bigger context. And I think having that actually brings more intensity, more focus, more um, creativity into your job 
but it brings it in a healthy way. Mm. Oftentimes, you know, from the ups and downs, from, you know, the times I did startups in the teeth of recessions, things like that, that's been really, really critical for me to be able to bring my best self every day. Well, Brian, man, I appreciate the time. It's been a lot of fun speaking to you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, Paul. My pleasure. You're welcome. All right, everybody, let's wrap another one up right now. Remember, your intention matters. Why? I'm telling you, that's the result you'll tend to get. We're out of here. We'll do it again next week. And be safe, everybody. 